0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is Smitten. Smitten. Some people say that both God and Santa Claus are just made up, that they're not real, I'm not sure about Santa Claus, but I know all about God. It all started with circumcision. When Esther Glatt announced at school that her little brother wasn't going to be circumcised after all, I had no idea what she was talking about. I asked my mum. It turned out to be a religious thing. We don't go to church, and I knew nothing about religion, so I tried to get my mum to tell me about it. After sketching out a brief family tree of world religions, my mother said, She used to be Catholic, but admitted she really didn't believe any of that anymore. She declared that she wasn't going to fill my head with any mumbo-jumbo about things she didn't know were true. She suggested that instead, I talk to the people in the neighborhood and find out what they really thought about God and religion. That would be much more convincing. I started with my dad. He said he believed in God, the mighty engineer, the talented one who had designed all parts of our wonderful world. My dad said he could see God's work every time he opened a mandarin orange. All the little sections stuck together in a circle and wrapped up in the orange peel. My dad thinks that God made a mistake when he designed dogs feet. He wanted to discuss that with God someday, you know, one engineer to another. Now that I think of it, Quark's feet do clog up with ice in the winter. And the sled dogs in the Yukon Quest all have to wear little boots to keep the snow from sticking. But my dad warned me this had nothing to do with religion. It was just what he happened to believe. It was sort of the same with Lily down the street. She's the mother of Molly and Maggie, Quark's dog friends. She never went to church because she found it much more spiritual to hike up a mountain on Sunday with her dogs and look down on the land below. Or go skijoring and see the sun dance and all the ice crystals. But no, this wasn't religion either. It was just her. I had more luck at the Briesbois house. I went there because my mum said they were very Catholic. I knew spring and summer Brisebois, the 18-year-old twins. They'd been my babysitters a couple of times. I liked them because they let me stay up and watch TV with them, as long as I didn't tell my parents. Mr. Brisebois was quite willing to talk about religion. He explained that being Catholic is all about avoiding being punished for a long string of possible crimes. I mean, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. Like like murder, that's definitely a bad thing. And I guess adultery. They call it that because only adults do it. But Mr. Brisebois had a whole list of bad things, such as sloth, uh, like the upside-down animal from South America. I think sloths are just naturally slow. I don't think they're really lazy, and it's probably not their fault. He had me worried with gluttony, although that was a fun word to say. But I had secretly taken a second piece of puffed wheat cake after supper that very evening and started to worry about going to hell, which didn't sound like much fun the way Mr. Briesbois described it. He said he and his family were all good Catholics and they would all be going to heaven because they never did any of those things that were on the nasty lists. And he was quite willing to tell anybody about it. To me that sounded kind of like pride, which was another bad thing on Mr. Brisebois' list. But I didn't think I should ask him about that. Mrs. McPherson made me feel a lot better. She's United Church, which is definitely not Catholic. She said I probably didn't have to worry about going to hell for the extra dessert. But if I was really big and fat, and there are a lot of starving people around me, then maybe eating lots of dessert would be a problem. She said she didn't believe too much in absolute church rules. For her, it was up to every person to figure out what was right and what was wrong for themselves. And then if you did something you knew was wrong, that was a problem. But that wasn't enough. It was important to do good things and make the world better. That's why she worked with her group of United Church women to collect craft dinner for the food bank and knit socks for poor people. According to Mrs. McPherson, there were no guarantees about going to heaven or hell. It all got decided at the very last moment when you died, so it was important to do way more good things than bad things when you were alive. In any case, she really wasn't sure what heaven and hell were like. She said they were probably what you imagined them to be. For her, hell would be watching hockey games on TV all the time. She wasn't so sure about heaven, but she thought that floating around in clouds playing a silver harp sounded pretty boring. Mrs. McPherson gave me a book that belonged to Becky, her grown-up daughter. It was a black-and-white comic book version of the Bible with lots of wonderful stories in it. I learned that ass is actually another word for donkey and that turning the other cheek had nothing to do with your bum. I don't think we have any Buddhists or Hindus on the street. Lily said that Mr. Klimashevsky was really something else. I didn't feel comfortable going to talk to him. I mean, not even the adults talk to him. He's weird. And then I remembered how this all started, with Esther Glatt's little brother's circumcision. The Glatts are Jewish. Well, not actually very Jewish, explained Mr. Glatt. In fact, Mrs. Glatt wasn't Jewish at all, just Mr. Glatt. So all the Jewish things were sort of like family traditions for them, just like stopping for ice cream in CarMax is is a tradition for our family. That's why they didn't go with circumcision for the new baby. And they had the best of everything, like Christmas and Hanukkah, Easter and Passover. Mr. Glatt said that some of the old Jewish things, like not eating pork, might have made sense years ago when people didn't have good ovens and cooking pots. But today there was no reason not to have the pulled pork pita sandwich from the food truck downtown. He said the Catholics used to go to hell for eating meat on Fridays, but the rules got changed. I asked about the Catholics who went to hell for having hamburgers on Friday just before they changed the rules. I mean, would they get out of hell after the rules got changed? Mr. Glatt said he didn't know, and that was one of the problems about having too many rules. One summer evening, I headed down to the mailbox by the bus stop with Mara, my mum, and Quark, my brother. He is a dog. Just as we were passing in front of the Breezebaugh house, the door crashed open and out ran Summer. She slowed down and stopped as she reached the middle of the front lawn and stood there uncertainly. She was carrying a yellow sports bag. She was crying. Mr. Breezebaugh came out of the house and stood on the front steps. His hands balled into fists, placed firmly on his hips. Mrs. Brisebois appeared behind him, randomly pulling on his sleeve. Mr. Brisebois ignored her and started to shout words I didn't understand. You whore! You slutty whore! You're a disgrace to this house! You're a disgrace to your religion, and you're a disgrace to me! You're cut off, you hear? You're no longer part of this family. Get out and never come back! It must have been about five or ten seconds, but it seemed longer. Nobody moved, and the only sounds I could hear were the quiet sobs from Summer and the low growling from Quark. Then my mom let go of my hand and went over to put her arm around Summer's shoulder. Come, she said quietly. Come with me. Quark and I were taken by surprise, but we reacted quickly. I ran over and held Summer's hand. Quark took up position between us and Mr. Brisebois and continued growling. Mr. Brisebois started to shout once more, Get your little girl away from that whore, or she'll become a whore too. He paused and then began again, She's a whore, a little whore, just like her mother. And with that he turned and smacked Mrs. Brisebois across the face. She didn't move to protect herself. She just staggered back and stood there. Quark's growl turned into a bark. Neither he nor I had ever seen anything like this before. My mum led Summer to the sidewalk, and we headed to our house. Quirk covered our retreat. I took one last glance back. Mr. Brisebois stood there, glaring at us. Mrs. Brisebois stood there too, crying, with blood streaming down her face. It took only twenty minutes to fill the kitchen with people drinking tea. There was my mum and dad, of course, and Summer and me. Cork doesn't drink tea, but he was there too. Then there was Lily and Mrs. McPherson and Mr. and Mrs. Glatt. They all sat around and talked about what to do and big decisions that Summer had to make. I got bored and went off to read my book about the pyramids of Egypt. In the end, the only decisions were that my dad and Mr. Glatt would go talk to Mr. Breezebaugh the next evening once he had had a chance to cool down and that Summer would spend the night at Lily's place. I really didn't understand what was going on until I climbed into bed between my mom and dad that night to talk. It's because Summer's pregnant, my mom explained. She's going to have a baby. Oh, a baby, I shouted. Maybe she'll let me hold it in my arms. Everyone loves babies. Babies are wonderful. Well, said my dad slowly. Yes, babies are wonderful, but the degree of wonder is often a function of timing. I mean... Babies are a lot of work and take a lot of time, and Summer hasn't finished school yet. That's going to be difficult with a baby, and doing it all alone. Just a minute, what do you mean alone? Where's the dad? Don't all babies have dads, I asked? Yes, my mum replied. All babies do have fathers. But in Summer's case, the baby's father doesn't want to have anything more to do with Summer. It looks like she's on her own. But why does Summer have to move out of her house? Couldn't she stay there and get the rest of her family to help her? Where is she going to live? And why was Mr. Brisebois so mad? Things always got really complicated whenever adults were involved. Those are hard questions to answer, replied my dad. I really don't know what's going on with Mr. Brisebois. Is this about religion? I asked, suddenly suspicious. From the little I knew about religion, it was clear that logic and religion didn't go together. Mrs. McPherson had said it was all about faith, and you can never figure out faith. I really don't know, said my dad hesitantly. It might be something to do with religion somewhere. After all, the breezebois are very Catholic. But that's the sort of thing that everyone interprets differently. No, I really can't say. A sudden fear ran through my body. If I'm going to have a baby, will I have to move out of the house? I was almost afraid to ask. My mom hugged me tightly. Alex, when you become pregnant, I hope there will be some wonderful guy there to be the dad and help you with everything. Maybe you'll have a house or a nice apartment. But even if you don't have any of that, you can stay here with us and we'll help. We love you, after all. Oh, phew, that was a relief. I didn't think I'd have a baby for a while yet. I'm only six. When my dad and Mr. Glatt came back from visiting Mr. Breesbois the next evening, they reported that Mr. Breesbois was still adamant, about Summer being kicked out of the house. I don't know who Adam Ant was, but I assumed he was the character in some Bible story about someone who wouldn't change his mind. So Mr. Glatt found a small, empty apartment in a building he owned downtown. We found a single bed and some sheets in our basement. Mrs. McPherson got a bunch of her church friends together, and they came up with a table, two chairs, some dishes, and a few cooking pots. Lily had some extra kitchen utensils, made some pies, and took Summer grocery shopping. We all helped Summer move in. The apartment was really small. There wasn't even a bedroom, so the bed had to go in the living room. I guess that was okay, because there wasn't much else in the living room. The walls were bare, and it didn't seem like a very nice place to live. I think Summer was crying when we left. But she did get a job at Boston Pizza. We saw her there the next week, and I know Mrs. McPherson gave her lots of craft dinner. It was about three weeks later, just after supper, when the doorbell rang. I went to see who was there. It was spring, Brisebois, Summer's twin sister. She was towing a suitcase on wheels. Yep, she announced. I'm knocked up too. She saw that I didn't understand. You know, a bun in the oven. Pregnant, just like Summer. I left before that bastard could would kick me out. I wonder why there are always so many words for the same simple thing. Anyway... I let Spring in, and the kitchen soon filled with the same group as last time, drinking tea. It was easier the second time around. It turned out that Mr. Brisebois was Adam Ant about Spring too, so someone came up with one more bed, and Spring moved into the tiny apartment with her sister. Spring got a job at Boston Pizza, same as her sister. Will they live there forever, I asked my mum. I don't know, she replied. This sort of thing has a way of working itself out somehow. I'm just not sure how. My mom was right. The next evening during supper, we heard the sound of a siren. That didn't happen often in Porter Creek. It came closer and closer. By the time the ambulance came down our street, we were looking out the window. By the time the ambulance people were going into the Brisebois house, we were out on the lawn. So were all the other neighbors. They carried Mr. Brisebois out of the house on a complicated stretcher with folding wheels. His eyes were closed. Mrs. Breezebois followed behind, crying. They got into the ambulance and sped away with a siren screaming. It was all very exciting. Dead before he even got to the hospital, announced Mrs. McPherson when she came over the next day. Mrs. McPherson knows everything. Stroke. He smoked, you know. It's because of that. My mom and dad decided I should go to the funeral because it would be part of my education. It was in the Catholic church downtown. Mrs. Brieswa sat up front with Spring and Summer beside her. They were all dressed in black. Mrs. Brieswa cried. Spring and Summer didn't. I guess Mr. Brieswa was in the big box up front, but it was closed. Lily, Mrs. McPherson, and the Glatts were there. There were some other people that I didn't recognize, but the church was only one third full. The funeral was long and boring. They called it Mass probably because it seemed so heavy. I thought someone would get up and do a U-led-G, you know, like where they talk about how wonderful a person was. They do that in movies. But it was just the priest up front, and he went on a long time about God and such, and scarcely mentioned Mr. Breezeball at all. Afterwards, we went over to the Breezeball house for tea and cookies. Mrs. McPherson had arranged all that. She's good at doing things like that, you know, helping people. So Spring and Summer moved back into the house with their mom, and everyone seemed a lot happier. Spring had a little boy, and Summer had a little girl in the same week, and I got to hold both of the babies in my arms, one at a time, of course. Mrs. Breezeball looked after the babies when Spring and Summer went to school, and things worked out fine. Mr. Breezeball had told me how God would smite people who didn't do the right thing. Smiting is like knocking people down and maybe making them dead. Mrs. McPherson said that Mr. Brisebois had died of a stroke. I'm sure it was really because God was mad at Mr. Brisebois for the way he treated his girls. My dad sort of confirmed that when he said that Mr. Brisebois would be interred at the cemetery. Interred is just another way of saying in trouble. God just made it look like a stroke. He's probably good at things like that, even if he messed up when making dogs' feet. So now I know that God is real, and he watches out to see who's good and bad, sort of like a super Santa Claus. The only difference is that Santa Claus doesn't smite people, and God doesn't wait till Christmas. This has been a timid podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.